0: It's got hints of oak and peach and raspberry. (laughs) It's dry. It's It's aged in bourbon
1: barrels. I'm getting a hint of (laughs) parrot's (laughs) feet. That's right.
2: Hey, Prog fans! Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prog Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and as always, I'm joined by... Craig and Lee. We are three friends and Prog aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music, while sprinkling in our always-unvarnished opinions of the music and the personalities that make this genre so great. As always, you can find us on Twitter, the platform that's now known as X, and Instagram on the handle at UP3Show, or we're also on Mastodon at at UP3Show on the Mastodon.social server. We also have a homepage over at UP3Show.com where you can find all of our back episodes and occasional extra multimedia content. And if you really want to tell us what you think about the show, feel free to email us at UP3Show at gmail.com. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our podcast page at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. This will make sure that you never miss an episode and will help other prog fans find the show. As we usually do, we start the episode by talking about what we've been up to. And um, I'll start with you, Craig. What have you been up to since last time?
0: My band played our first live gig on Friday night. Wow. Nice. Yeah, we made $120. We did a forty five minute set at the Mercury Cafe in Denver, nice, and we're a six piece, so uh you got your twenty out of it I got yeah. Yeah, exactly I got my twenty bucks Thank goodness <laughs> uh it was all divisible by yeah, six. parking was forty <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's the kind of quintessential thing where the band comes up after the gig and goes, like, "Do you validate parking right. <laughs>
0: it's, uh, right it's certainly been done. I found out after I bought a beer that I would have gotten a free beer if I would have asked. <laughs>
2: Oh, <laughs> does the band get free beers?
0: Uh, we get a free beer. All right. We didn't have a contract, so I didn't look at the writer. But yeah, oh. so we're a six piece. It's bass drums, piano, sax, trumpet, and voice. Mm. We did okay. That's great. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. So we have uh, nowhere to go but up from here, though.
2: Yeah, yeah up, up to right. the right. That's all you got to do.
0: One of the things we're going to start doing is we've been doing a lot of jazz standards. And we're starting to talk about thinking we want to get more into kind of like funk and more modern stuff, and what that is doing is drawing a vector towards progressive jazz slowly. And that's so really that's, cool. So that's going to happen.
3: Blow by blows,
0: right around. Yeah, the corner. it's like it's the long con, you know. Yeah, there you go.
2: Are you guys content to be a covers band, or do you think that originals are in your future?
0: Well. I don't think originals are in our future. (laughs) None of us are really songwriters. We just love playing.
2: That sounds really cool regardless.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good.
2: Awesome. How about you, Lee? What have you been up to since last time?
0: Nothing exciting like that. Just
3: working my butt off. We had a big virtual sales kickoff going on at work. And so there was mad scrambling day and night all last week to get graphics and videos out the door. So a little bit of writing in the studio, but not a lot yet. Nice. And did they
0: use your videos as part of the kickoff?
3: Well, we're not using my videos as part of the kickoff. I had done one on my own about this new group I'm in, mm-hmm.
0: but it didn't have any
3: key messages approved and all this kind of stuff. So gotcha. it's going to have to go through some changes and things like that. And then we got a product launch coming up in the near future. And I think that's my target for getting some videos out the door for this new product. Nice. How about you, Tony?
2: I have mostly been still traveling for work, but thankfully that's all done. I just got back from a trip to Singapore, which I found out halfway through one of my flights from San Francisco to Singapore that the flight I was on is one of the longest in the world. (laughs) There's like these (laughs) flights from London to Sydney, Australia that are like 19 hours or something. Yeah, I've heard about that. Once you get to long flight number three, the next 10 are all within 15 minutes of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flight from San Francisco to Singapore was 17 hours. Mm-hmm. Plenty of time to listen to music. Mm-hmm. I did make another run at The Astonishing. Okay. Still not doing anything for Don't me. Give <laughs> <out>. Don't give up. <laughs> Don't give up. Because I really want to like it. What I will say, especially in light of recent developments, I like Mangini a lot on that album, hmm. which is not something I was expecting to take out of this most recent listen. But just a lot of work, getting ready to gear up for the holidays, yeah. like a lot of us are, so taking a lot of PTO, and then we'll be back in January and back at it. Yeah. We also like to go around and talk about what we've been listening to, and Craig, what jazz have you been listening to?
0: Herbie Hancock. Ooh. Hey, really? Yeah, serious. Like I was saying, we're starting to stray into a little more modern kind of stuff. So Herbie goes as far back as pre-Fusion Miles, mm-hmm. but also, as you know, he embraced synthesizers and the whole thing. So this morning of practice, we pulled up a Herbie song and tried to learn it and failed. So I've been listening to it over and over again. It's Maiden Voyage.
2: You said that we tried and failed. So what was the failed part? Is it because of the complexity of the piece or just that it's new or...
0: It's very simple, it's only a few chords, but the rhythm has this weird two bar form that's like dun
4: dun dun dun. Oh.
0: it's just really hard to count it in and the drummer the drummer's stellar uh sky jake but james and i are you know kind of the neophytes to this whole jazz thing and the timing of those hits of the bah, 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 we struggled and failed huh. i mean we'll get it but you know we just couldn't figure it out nice. this morning nice well good luck yeah that's pretty much the main thing
2: lee what have you been listening to
0: i
3: have been listening to everything simon godfrey
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was the other thing i was going to say thank you yeah
3: i was cramming for the episode and then i got my hands on shine back and i was completely blown away Mm
4: i had yeah. no idea yeah. it
3: was that good and so i have had my head deep down into the dark recesses of Shineback. Mm-hmm. so much so that i downloaded flack and then i put it on tracks in cakewalk and i've been listening to it through my studio headphones in really gory detail oh, my. and just thoroughly love this set of albums and we'll get more into that
2: yeah fair warning listener The first probably 10 minutes of the episode are us really gushing gushing about how much we love this material. (laughs) So anything else besides the shineback?
3: No, I just finally got into Stephen Wilson, the Harmony Codex, but I don't have enough to really be intelligent yet, so.
0: Did you get through it more than once?
3: I got through it a grand total of once, (laughs) so I'm going to hold off on my comments until I've been through it a few more times
2: and i guess it comes back and it's no surprise that i am listening to the new peter gabriel yeah mm-hmm. i had access to the digital version day of release but i was listening to the cd version because i bought the version that has both the dark side and light side mixes which honestly they're not terribly different mm-hmm. but you know, as we've talked about before The way that this ended up coming out is like he had the lunar cycles all year. And then finally, what we realized is that that was the tracking order of the album and that the entire album would be out as singles before the album came out. I had a theory that it was going to be better as an album than it is as singles. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely is. That's cool. This is a stellar album. Absolutely blown away by it and then I've been reading some of the media since the album came out, and I'm actually maybe more excited that he's saying that he's got an entire album's worth of material ready to go. Hmm. So hopefully we'll get two albums out of Peter Gabriel and not have to wait another 20 years. That's what I've been listening to. Lee, as you usually do, give us uh, some prog news and new releases here, sir.
3: Yeah, prog news. So Kairos has announced a new album, Mannequin, to be out February 2nd. And they did a preview track called Ghosts of You. And I really liked it, which I was surprised because they teased Esoterica last month. And I was not impressed with Esoterica. I thought it was a complete recycle of Selexa Dreams. But I really like Ghosts of You. So I'm starting to get geared up again for this new album.
2: Nice.
3: Pineapple Thief is going to release a new album. It leads to this on February 9th. And they have a new single out called Frost. Steve Hackett has announced he's going to release another album, and this one will be a concept album called The Circus and the Night Whale, releasing February 16th, and he has released a preview called People of the Smoke.
0: I love Steve Hackett.
3: Derek Sherinian and Bumblefoot have announced a brand new prog metal band, Whom Gods Destroy. This will be their debut album, Insanium, on March 2024, and so far there's no preview, so I'm going to keep my ear to the ground on that. Really like Derek Sherinian, as you guys know? Yep. Francis Dunnery. I don't know how many listeners out there know the long, long history of It Bites. Francis Dunnery was in one of the original versions of It Bites. And in my mind, he's one of the people that has caused the most drama around that band, with other people leaving. Hmm. Very much a Roger Waters figure in my mind. But he has announced a reformed version of It Bites called It Bites FD. You know, no ego there. Mm, right. Next album is going to be called Return to Natural, releasing March 2024. And he has gone on record saying, This is a pure analog recording. We will not do any digital at all, including any effects. Hmm. This will be a very big shift away from the John Mitchell version of It Bites, which, you know, that's fine, but I'm not much of a Francis Dunnery fan, but we'll see.
2: I wonder if that means that tracking and mixing and mastering is also analog.
3: Yeah, who knows what he means. I mean, it sounded like a very big axe to grind, but... So is John Mitchell not in the band anymore? John Mitchell is not in the band anymore. I don't know how much you guys know of the long history of It Bites, but they formed in the 80s. Hmm. Oh, okay. Hmm. And had some underground success with a couple of albums, The Big Lad in the Windmill and Once Around the World. And Francis Dunnery was part of that, but people came in and out, and when they left, they would often quote, I can't get along with Francis Dunnery, so. (laughs) And then fast forward to 2005, and John Mitchell puts together the band Kino, which has John Beck and Bob Dalton, and both of them are former It Bites alumni. And then in 2006, they take that core, and then Lee Pomeroy joins, and they decide to reform as It Bites. Mm Mm-hmm. And they go on to do The Tall Ships and Map of the Past, which I think are two excellent It Bites albums. Yeah, same. And I'm a huge John Mitchell fan. Yep. Have you listened to those? Mm-hmm, I have. Okay. I know you're kind of deep diving on John Mitchell, so.
0: I'm total fangirl.
3: Yep. Big Big Train have announced a new album called The Likes of Us that will be out in March. And this will be the debut of their singer, Alberto Bravin, after the very sudden death of David Logden in November of 2021. So luckily it should come out right before Cruise to the Edge, and they will be on Cruise to the Edge. So we're going to get to hear and talk a lot about Big Big Train over the next few weeks and months. And that's Prog News.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much, Lee. Craig? Do you have anything unheard of to tell us about?
0: Yeah, so we're talking to a fellow tonight named Simon Godfrey. I've kind of followed him on Facebook. He's got a lot of really interesting insights into being a musician, being a writer, what it's like to be a musician in the world today. But I never really knew much about him. He's just funny as hell on Facebook. Yes. So I decided to reach out to him and see if he wants to talk to us, because what the hell? We're not going to do an unheard of. Because I sort of feel like he's an unheard of, but an ass-kicking unheard of. Awesome. Fair enough. I agree with that. And in preparation for talking to him, we started listening to his music. Yes. And specifically, these albums that he has called Shine Back. He's got other bands too, but this one called Shine Back. And we're going to talk a lot about it. Mind-blowing stuff. Yeah, absolutely blew me away you got to listen to both of these two albums. There's a third one coming out next year.
3: Yeah, these three albums basically make up a concept trilogy, and I just don't have the superlatives to describe it. Really looking forward to hearing him talk
2: about it. And without any further ado, let's go talk to Simon.
0: Simon, thanks so much for joining us. We went from hey, it'd be interesting to talk to this guy. He's got a cool Facebook page and he has a lot of interest in music and all that. And then we started listening to your back catalog and we started to go nuts. So we're pretty excited and we're starstruck. Trust me, there
1: is nothing star-like about me, if I'm being, to be honest with you. I sit on the toilet and look at my phone just like everybody else.
0: <laughs> I thought it was just me. Before we start, I want to talk about Philly and these guys don't care. All right. That's where I'm from. So uh, whereabouts are you in Philly.
1: Go Eagles. I'm located in the northeast between East Falls and Roxburgh. Sure. I'm one of the few Englishmen that is able to both speak and spell the word (laughs) Schuylkill, which is the local river to here. Yeah. That is a challenging, almost Welsh-like spelling. Yeah.
0: It's Indian for a lot of cars packed into a narrow highway. (laughs) Now, you went to Philly for true love, is that right?
1: Yeah, I met a Jersey girl.
3: No! A Jersey girl. Oh, yeah, I know. So impressed.
1: <laughs> well, I was out here playing, and we were introduced by a mutual friend. And from that moment on, Sparks flew. Mm-hmm. And you've got to go with the girl, is. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. At the time, my previous band, Tiny Fish, was fast approaching an end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just thought, ah, it's time to turn the page. Let's start a new chapter. So here I am, 10 years later
0: okay and we're getting ahead of ourselves did you record shine back in philly
1: yeah the very first Shineback album was recorded in the uk that's rise up forgotten return destroyed yep. and the follow-up album which was about five years later was recorded here in philly okay. Oh, nice. the album's called dial
0: yeah right
2: right oh yeah we're very familiar with those two yes, records right we now we know
0: those two records really well uh where in new
1: jersey is she from she was just across the river in a place called collins oh yeah tell her i grew up in marlton Oh, okay, yeah. There we are in that case. Yeah, I know Malton a little bit. Yeah. If memory serves me correct, I think some of the guys from the tea club are also in Malton. What? Yeah.
0: I've uh, been gone since 85, so I think the guys from the tea club may not have been born yet.
1: I think the two brothers are, uh, are from Malton. No way. I got to make a note of that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so one other pander for you.
0: My wife has an English friend, and she brought over a trifle. Oh. Like a gallon jug of trifle. Yeah,
1: I do like a good trifle. There's nothing wrong with a trifle. I ran out of insulin. Yeah, that'll do it.
0: <laughs> it's in a gallon jug, like a bucket. Yeah. And the bottom third is sort of like jelly, fruit, jammy kind of crap. It's a kidney killer. <laughs> and whipped cream and just all the things that uh, I'm not
1: supposed to have. Yeah, <laughs> there you we go. Well, how long's the show been going? I mean, how long have you been doing the podcast for?
2: It was very near the beginning of COVID. Okay. And so it's been since, like, late 2020.
0: This is our fourth season. The rest
1: is history. Wow. Well, what can I say? Congratulations, gentlemen. Well, thank you.
0: Thank, thank, you, thank you, very, you very much. It's been a labor of love and uh, a money sink.
1: <laughs> yes, we sink a <laughs> ton of money into this labor of love.
3: And some of your buddies have been on here. Doug Burke was one of our first interviews.
1: Yep. Yeah. No. Oh, well, Doug Burke is a Shineback alumni. He appears on both of the albums as well.
2: Yep. Yeah, it was really nice seeing his name in the credits.
1: So
0: how did you work that out? Did you just say, hey, you're going to play guitar on this track? What was the uh, situation there?
1: It's, it's more a creative decision. I'm a guitarist and singer by trade. Mm-hmm. And one of the ground rules that I laid myself for Shineback is that I would not play any guitar whatsoever on any of the songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So I'd do everything else, mm-hmm. but I would not play guitar. So it was down to me, basically, to plunder my friends list and ask some people that i've shared stages with in the past to join me
4: uh-huh.
1: i've worked obviously with deck i've worked with a very talented guitarist called matt stevens who's in a band called the fierce and the dead mm-hmm. back in the uk and he's also currently um playing with oh god i've now forgotten his name the uh the other guy in no man oh
3: yeah um tim bowness
1: yeah uh, and Hal Bennett is another one who was also the second guitarist in Deck Burke's band mm-hmm. when he was doing some solo stuff. And some various other people like Carl Eisenhart, who's in a band called Pinnacle, and is also now in a band with me, which is our sort of live act, which is Tribe of Names. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy called Tom Slatter. I was describe him as a steampunk troubadour. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I've just been lucky to work with some very talented people.
4: I love you
1: And, of course, my long-term lyricist co-writer, Michael Robert Ramsey, who I've worked with for about 30 years now.
0: What made you make the choice to not play any guitar?
1: Basically, it was a way of me moving outside of my comfort zone. Hmm. I think probably most musicians might recognize this, but there are certain chord sequences and finger placement that you do as a guitarist. You get very comfortable with it. You know where you can go with those. Right. I found that when it came to shine back, In order to make it distinct from some of my other solo work and my other projects, I wanted to do something which stopped me from being me, or at least sounding like me. Okay. And so not playing the guitar was the best way for me to get outside of that comfort zone.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: To that
2: end, are you a trained guitarist?
1: Well, entirely depends what you mean by trained. I'm trained in the fact that I'm paid, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not a classically trained guitarist or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm very much a sort of like a field guitarist. I've always said that I'm more Van Morrison than Van Halen. <laughs> there you go.
2: What you just said totally tracks with me. When I was first learning to play guitar and then coming back as an adult and trying to learn it properly, there's definitely the patterns that I fall into. Of oh, my fingers just go here. And if I see something else that's novel, it's more difficult for me to go do that because that doesn't feel comfortable.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what
0: I remember reading an interview with Adrian Ballou and he said something to the effect of when he was learning to play guitar, after he learned all the Beatles songs, he would try and write stuff. And every time it sounded like somebody else, he would throw it away and move in some other direction. Yeah. I think that's a constant struggle how to
1: make yourself unique it is and i've always set a very high standard for myself when it comes to shineback mm-hmm. and if it's not exciting me i don't do it nice i'd written an album about 2 years after the first shineback album which was rise up forgotten return destroyed i'd completed about 80% of that album and when i listened to it i just wasn't happy with it so i scrapped the entire thing oh my wow And I started again from scratch, which is the reason why it uh, took five years between the first and the second album, and part of the reason why it's taken so long between the second and this third and final album that I will be releasing next year.
2: (sighs) When you say scrap, do you mean you threw it away, delete the stems, or do you put things away and say, maybe I'll come back to that idea later?
1: A little bit of both. There was some work there which I genuinely thought was interesting, and some of those tracks appeared on an EP Okay. called Minotaur. Oh, yeah. There are four tracks on that EP, and those were the four tracks that genuinely excited me. And that might be my favorite shineback, by the way.
2: I love that EP. Yeah,
1: as do I. Oh, really? I'm glad you like it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It
3: is. Safe as Houses, that's an incredible song. Oh, my God.
4: As houses so
1: that's certainly one of my favorites the EP were the, basically the four tracks which I felt this is worth putting out there. Mm-hmm. And they all had a kind of theme about them, which was the sense of a saga, mm-hmm. I suppose is the best way to describe it. And, uh, and I, I've been reading a lot of Greek mythology, which is the reason why you've got the Minotaur and Theseus tracks on there as well. Okay. And so it just made more of a sense to release those as a standalone EP and then start again from scratch from Dial. And I'm glad I did because mm-hmm. the album that came out of what I would call a quality control reset was a much better <laughs> album. Okay, and okay. the reason why I stopped it is because it sounded too much like the first album. Huh. Interesting. Mm.
0: So you mentioned you have a, a songwriting partner. Is it music, lyrics, division, or are you like equal partners, or how do you divide up the labor?
1: He's a lyricist by trade. Okay. I definitely see him as an equal partner in all of this. Mm -hmm. He's an old college friend that I knew from many, many years ago. I started collaborating with him because there are friends that you like, and there are friends that will call you out on your bullshit. Sure, Robert definitely is one of those guys that sits in the latter category. Uh Mm. I spend a lot of my time second-guessing myself. And one of the things which Robert is very, very good at is getting to the nub of a problem, getting to the core of it. Wow! Because of that, he's always been what I consider to be a very safe pair of hands when it comes to looking at material, because he won't out and out say, that's crap, go away and do it again. Mm -hmm. But he will say, I don't think that this is up to your standard, if he feels it's the right thing to say. Okay. And over and above that, he and I have a very creative and symbiotic relationship when it comes to music. He will let me do everything I want to do as a musician
4: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, occasionally guide me back when he thinks I've left the path. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for him as a lyricist. I call myself a competent lyricist in my own right. But much like we were talking about a little earlier about me not wishing to play guitar on an album... One of the great things that I find with Rob Ramsey as a lyricist is he will venture into areas which I would never think of going. Mm. And as a result, it pushes and expands the world of Shine Back in areas which I find genuinely exciting.
2: There are some bands where they definitely write music up front, and then they form the poem that becomes the lyrics around the music. And then there's others where they're symbiotic the entire way. Which do you tend to lean towards?
1: It tends to be the latter. I don't think that Rob has ever provided me with much in the way of material before I've written the music. One of Rob's chief roles back in the early days when I was in this band called Tiny Fish, Hmm. he was our X Factor in that band. We were just a regular run-of-the-mill prog band. (laughs) But what he would do is he would come out on stage and deliver these spoken word pieces over some of the music. I had reversed my dreams, you see, and thus the dreams of others were now being filled by this engine of metal that moved like water, this filler and emptier, this big red spark. Yeah, dressed in these really outlandish costumes. (laughs) That's awesome. He'd be dressed in a military costume for one track, and he'd give some of these costumes names. And one of my favorites was the character he called the Mayor of the Apocalypse. Uh And basically he was dressed in tails and a top hat, and it was covered in dust uh, or or talcum powder and stuff. And he would come out for this track called All Hands Lost, which was about the the end of the world, Mm -hmm. and deliver this spoken word right in the middle of this piece. In those instances, what would happen is he would give me basically a monologue, and I would build a song around that monologue.
2: Ah, okay.
1: Firstly, for the songs, what I would do is I would give him a song with me doing what Peter Gabriel calls Gabrielese, and what I actually (laughs) call yogurt singing. And what I'm doing is I'm actually just singing vowel sounds and consonants. And then what he does is he writes the lyrics to what he thinks I'm saying. Wow. Ah, okay. that's
0: wild. To me, that's fascinating. You can come up with completed pieces of music that sound as lyrical as they are without really an idea of the story that he's going to tell.
4: Yeah. And, that's um, crazy. That's and wild. he takes
2: it off in directions which I would never think of. That's amazing. I, I love that.
0: That's incredible. Do you guys
1: share production responsibilities or engineering responsibilities for the music? That's all me. Uh, basically, I pass the tracks once they get into a more listenable state back to him mm-hmm. to let him hear it. But he is pretty much looking at it from an artistic, creative perspective. Sure. Okay. As he often says, I have the crappiest pair of ears in Europe. <laughs> I have friends of mine who have a little bit more technically minded when it comes to a mix, which I then show the tracks to. hmm And it also passes under the nose of a gentleman, David Elliott, who runs the label to which I'm signed, which is Bad Elephant Music, back in the UK. Got it.
2: Do you like to get the instruments in and then do effects later? Or do you like to record wet and then figure out where it's going artistically from there?
1: Back in the early days, when I was just starting, I used a system called Acid Pro. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Acid Pro was literally a player of samples and loops. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And back then, I didn't have as much technical know-how as I do now. I would just throw a few loops together, flesh out an arrangement, and then gradually replace the loops with real instruments, ah, okay. expanding upon that basic sketch. Nowadays, I still do use loops and samples on occasion because sometimes they evoke an image or a feel or a vibe, which I just can't do myself. But I always like to use something to either affect it or change it mm-hmm. and make it more, right. basically. But the rest of it is just MIDI instruments in Logic Pro, basically. That's really fascinating.
2: I think a reviewer said that there's this electronica influence, and I definitely pick up on that as well. I'm wondering where that influence comes from for you. If there's any vanguard type of artist that you're like, I really like that, and I'm trying to go for that kind of sound.
1: It more comes down to inspiration rather than influence. Mm -hmm. It's really down to the fact that I'm not in the business of trying to imitate my heroes. No, of course. But certainly be inspired by them. I spent a lot of the 80s really immersed in progressive rock music. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But the 90s, I left the progressive community behind, and I spent most of the 90s knee-deep in EDM, in electronic music. Mm. Wow artists like Aphex Twin, Square Pusher. But the biggest band that I was inspired by was Boards of Canada. Oh, okay.
0: So I want to ask about one of the Shineback tunes called My New Reward. Oh, yes. Tell me about the keyboards on that. That has got the most unique keyboard runs and sounds and arrangements that I've heard in some time. One of the
1: things which I draw on from the early 80s is a lot of the electronic bands of the early 80s were working with monosynths. Uh-huh, sure. What they would do is weave lines between one another in order to create a harmonic structure. Mm hmm And that track is very much in that mold. I mean there's still some chords sitting in the background i was trying to weave lines in and out of one another in order to create a sound which didn't sound like the rest of the album
0: yeah
3: it's totally unique it's got that electronic edm feel
2: yep that could be very easily on an orbital album hmm. or it could be on republica's debut album
1: yeah i just love the way it's all put together well actually the writing technique is born out of early depeche mode albums Ah, oh, okay. interesting. It's the, the Vince Clark era speak and spell stuff, which is where he's weaving a lot of lines in it. Okay. But the sounds that I'm using are much more obviously contemporary. And you're right. I, now you played it. I can hear the orbital element of it. Interesting.
3: Let me dive a little deeper with you on the engineering itself. Sure. When I listen to Shine Back in particular, I feel like there's an extra artist that comes into the room. And that is the way you use the studio itself. Yeah, I agree. And here, I'm going to play a clip from Rise Up Forgotten, Return Destroyed. Okay. This is a section of Is This the Dream? build that intro from a long slow crescendo then it cuts off suddenly into the distorted oscillator and morphs into the girl crying i thought right away that must be dora in the story yeah that's what i mean by it feels like there's an additional artist in the room and it's the way you use the studio itself and it feels to me like you were intentionally setting up an emotion right at the very beginning of the album with that intro
1: Yeah, anguish.
3: Hmm. Well, I can tell you that you succeeded when I hear that clip, and I have a daughter, and when I hear that, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It really is a visceral feeling for me, listening to that.
1: Yeah, they say the definition of trauma for a person is when there is no good option, when there is no way to figure out a solution, and that's where trauma lies. Hmm. And this whole story about Dora, about her life, her childhood, and about how she was traumatized and brutalized by people that should be protecting her, I find that an incredibly powerful motivation. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a very visceral thing. And it's not something which is particularly comfortable to listen to or even write. Right. But I remember there was an interview. I didn't know the, him quite well, but the, uh, the lead singer of the band called Big, Big Train.
3: Yeah, David Logdon.
1: D- David Longdon. Yeah. I knew David a little bit, but one of the things that always hit home to me was, I remember in an interview, he was being asked about the subject matters that he was writing about. And he said, you should never be afraid to shine a light into dark corners. Mm-hmm. And that always really stayed with me and it did serve as the motivation to push through what is essentially a very unpalatable experience. There are elements of Shineback which are not there for entertainment purposes. (laughs) They're there as purely as a gateway into worlds which we don't inhabit on a regular basis. Yes. We should confront the darker parts of both ourselves and other people. Mm -hmm. Music is a great way of being that bridge into that world without Mm -hmm. you two feeling... Entirely traumatized by it. I agree entirely. Yeah, thank
0: you. Is that where the name Shineback comes from? Yeah, very nice. Tiny Fish was a band. Yeah, I watched the documentary on YouTube. Very nice. Thank you. They're a band. Then I look at Shineback, and it's you and Rob. So that's kind of like a Steely Dan thing. What drove you to approach Shineback that way instead of making it a band?
1: Mm. Well, it came down to the fact that with Tiny Fish. The vast majority of the band members I knew either from school or from college. Mm-hmm. I originally got together with the bass player Paul Woolwood and the guitarist Jim Sanders in a band during the 80s when we were just first starting out called Freefall, and actually the keyboard player in that band was none other than my brother, Jim Godfrey. Yes, mm-hmm. We played a lot of shows during the late 80s, supporting bands like IQ and Twelfth Night. Well. We were the young upstarts, really. We'd missed that new wave of British prog, mm-hmm. the merillians and the palaces and the 12 nights <laughs> of the IQs of this world by a few years. We were just too young for that. Uh-huh. And so, as a result, Tiny Fish formed in the early 2000s just out of a friendship. Living as we it, Now it's gone Measure the length of time with blood and microscopes. You knew the price of fear is tiny shreds of hope. Even though I wrote the bulk of the material, a lot of it was filtered through the other guys. Mm-hmm. And as a result Nothing got on the album Unless those guys Were happy with it mm-hmm. With Shine Back There was no one To say no mm-hmm. Apart from obviously Rob Ramsey Sure And the reason for that Is that I wanted to Move her into areas Which the rest of the guys In the band Were less comfortable doing Okay you tied to a chair. I'm standing behind you My hand in your head
4: the shoreline of midnight, your phone in my hand Farewell to your wife and child, I'm
0: Would you ever tour Shine Back?
1: No. No, this is purely a studio project. Mm. The best way to describe it is I always describe Shineback Back as a journal and not a painting. Interesting. If you're a band that plays live, you're giving everybody a painting. Whereas I wanted Shine Back to be a much more personal experience. <laughs> Got it. I thought you knew that I was only bad. And no one was more surprised when Shineback was as popular as it was. It was the album that allowed me to transition from a guy with an office job into a full time musician.
0: Nice. So where are you going to go with the third album?
1: But I did get a lot of people asking about the characters that were surrounding Dora on that first album. And one of the questions I got from it was, who were Dora's parents? Uh... You know, why was she the way she was? And so I decided after nearly 10 years that I would answer that question. So the new album, which is called Black Wings, White Lines, is a kind of prequel Mm -hmm. about Dora's parents and how Dora came to be as traumatized as she became. Yeah, that's fascinating. It all takes place on the I-95 between Florida and the border of Canada. (laughs) It's a prequel and a road movie at the same time. And that's one of the other things which I really wanted Shine Back to be cinematic. Mm -hmm. Right. We're even talking with people about the idea of of turning it into a comic book. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love that. yeah. yeah. Like a graphic novel. So
2: is the third album really the end?
1: Yeah, the third album literally is the end. It's not because I'm just drawing a line in the sand and that's it. There's a fascinating story about Robert Fripp And when he was putting the band Discipline together in the early 80s with Adrian Balloon and Bruford, and he had been rehearsing with the guys in Bath in the West Country of England. And he was driving back one evening, supposedly, and he said, I felt the presence of King Crimson in the car with me. And he said, and then I went back to the guys and I said, I think this band should be called King Crimson. Wow. And One of the things that I've always felt about Shineback is that I wait until the shineback rises in me before I attempt to write an album. Mm -hmm. And I know it sounds very metaphysical and spiritual, probably be a bit bullshitty, but I definitely feel like there's a presence beside me when I'm writing a Shineback album, which just isn't there when I'm doing any other project. And now they're taking me away. And so, as a result, while I was writing this, I definitely got a feeling that whatever that presence was doing beside me. It was saying, this is your last thing.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah.
1: And I think it comes from an unconscious feeling of, I want to say something with each album. And I've found it over the years becoming more and more difficult to say anything with conviction for Shine Back.
0: Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. We also saw that you're involved in an outfit that is Valdez.
1: Yes. Well, Valdez, we started just before COVID happened in about 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. I'd originally envisaged it to be a lot more like Jellyfish. I love Jellyfish. And I wanted it (laughs) to be sort of like that whimsical, psychedelic thing. Yeah, yeah. But it turned out to be a much more traditional, progressive rock band. Something for nothing. Nothing is what you left behind. All of me watching. All All of me there. And then when we hit the COVID lockdown, our keyboard player, a guy called Joe Cardillo, decided he didn't want to be in the band any longer. Mm -hmm. And because he had suggested the name, we didn't want to continue (laughs) ahead calling ourselves Valdez. So we got a guy called Carl Eisenhart in as guitarist. Mm -hmm. And we decided that what we would do is we would change the name to Tribe of Names. So, yeah, that is much more of a traditional prog band, I suppose. Because mm. don't get me wrong, I love progressive rock music. I love 10-minute songs. I love <laughs> stories. I like sagas. I always think that progressive rock as a genre is so well built as a genre to tell a good tale.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so as a result, I love playing that stuff. So, we released one album under on Valdez. We released another album on the Tribe of Names. Mm-hmm. We're on a hiatus at the moment because basically I have too much work to get done right now. But I'm hoping that one day we'll get back and do another Tribe of Names album. That would be fun.
2: Got it. Yeah, that album is stellar.
1: Thank you.
3: I've also spent some time listening to the Black Bag Archives. Oh, yeah. Those are interesting because I'll hear a live track or a recut of something from Valdez. There's even some stuff you put in there from Band of Bastards. Oh, yes. (laughs) And then there will be some standout that I've never heard on any of the other albums, um, like something like Nimbus. Oh, yes. Or Gideon Falls is another one I really enjoyed. It just seems like these are more of an outtake vehicle for you. Is that right?
1: That is exactly what the Black Bag Archive was. Okay. If there is one gift that I have been given, it's I'm incredibly prolific. Mm-hmm. I write and I write and I write. That's awesome. And I have upwards of about four to five hundred unreleased tracks sitting in my archive.
2: <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Holy moly!
1: Everything from tiny little demos from me just sitting there with a guitar and singing into a microphone, through to full production with orchestra. I did a lot of library work for a while as well, so there's a lot of that. For someone as prolific as myself, it's a gift to be able to provide music left, right, and centre. With the way that AI is going, I'll probably be out of a job in a, fair, in a short period of time. <laughs> but for that period where I was able to use that prolific nature that I have to make myself some money, it's been fantastic. And so the Black Bag Archive was just a little of, of those tracks which either were in projects which never found a home, or were part of other projects which I gave to other artists and said, no, we don't want it.
0: I did want to talk a bit about your influences. I noticed you had Bill Hicks.
4: Yeah. Bosses. You know
2: what I I always used to get from my boss? Hicks, how come you're not working? I go, there's nothing to do. He'd
0: go, well, you pretend like you're working, son. And I go, why don't you pretend I'm working? You get paid more than me. You fantasize. Shit, pretend I'm mopping.
2: I'll pretend they're buying shit we can close up. Hey,
0: I'm the boss, now you're fired. How's that for a fantasy, sir? Gone too soon. I love that guy. Listen to oh, everything boy. he's ever written.
1: Yeah. A lot of British people had a very unique experience about Bill Hicks. Really? Because while Bill Hicks couldn't get arrested in the States, mm-hmm. he was a big star in the UK. Really? He was playing big theaters. No kidding. And I think that was one of the reasons why he became a bit of an anglophile on the quiet. His dark humor really resonated with British people. Hmm. I remember seeing him on a couple of tours. Oh, wow. He was just part of the landscape of British comedy. He was one of those guys that everybody went, oh, yeah, Bill Hicks. And I just naturally assumed that he was big and famous in the US as well. So no one was more surprised than me that he was playing clubs in the U.S.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and small ones. Yeah.
1: The best way to describe me is he was like the Hendrix of comedy. <laughs> he changed the game. Yeah.
2: Whenever we do an interview, I kind of always come back to this one set of questions around what it's like to be an artist these days. I know that you're signed to a bad elephant, but that's, a, relatively speaking, a smaller label. Obviously, you're not doing this just to be a troubadour sitting on the corner. You want to make a living from this. I'm very
1: interested in your thoughts about what the current world looks like. Yeah, that is an interesting question, and I don't think it's one with a short answer. I know. Every single artist will have to face that question and really answer it in their own way. All I can tell you is, for me, I've been lucky enough to write both for library music and also for other artists. I've made some money doing that. I do some money doing vocal sessions. And I used to do a lot of drum sessions when I was still playing drums regularly. I don't do that any longer. Mm -hmm. When it comes to my own music, I tend to write for myself. Nice. If I'm being really honest with you, there was a time in my early youth where I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be the drummer in U2. I mm, yeah. wanted to be the guitarist in XTC. I wanted <laughs> to be that guy that walked up on stage and everybody would adore. But if I'm being really honest with you, I write because I have to, not because I want to. Yep. Yeah. I had a friend of mine once say, why on earth do I do this? And I was speaking cynically at that time.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And he, his answer was, because if you didn't, you'd go mad. Yeah, sure. Right. I'm driven to do this. If there was no money to be made tomorrow, if all of the money dried up, I'd still write songs.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: I do it for my own mental health. And one of the things that happens when you do it, but not for the money, is that you are instantly happy the moment a song is completed.
0: Yes. Interesting.
1: The next thing that happens is that you go and write another song.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. When did you learn that you are a good songwriter? And when I say good, I mean that satisfies your own songwriting itch.
1: That's a good question. All I can tell you right now is that I've only ever had one bout of writer's block. hmm And it was in 2002, I think it was, between 2001 and 2002. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, I've been writing quite happily. I just started out as a guitarist mm-hmm. and I was working as an acoustic guitarist. There was a big boom in acoustic music in the UK back in the late 90s. And the band that I was fronting at the time was a band called Men Dead, was riding that wave. And we got fairly popular, not big, but popular in the club circuit in London. Mm-hmm. And then I ran out of ideas. Mm. I had no idea what I was going to do. And for about six months, I had severe writer's block, and I was reading a book called The Ambient Century, which was a biography of ambient music from the very earliest days, like Eric Sarti and oh, people wow. like the Music Concrete School and all the way through John Cage and the like. Mm-hmm. And I read something. It's the only real musical epiphany I've ever had, which is all music comes from a harmonic structure. Hmm. And... I don't know why, but the moment I read that, something clicked inside me, and I've never had another day where I couldn't write a song. Mm. (laughs) I've written plenty of crap songs, thinking they were good songs, (laughs) but that was the first time that I realized that I wanted to form and front a progressive rock band. Gotcha. And that was when Tiny Fish formed, and the very first song I wrote for Tiny Fish was a track called Motorbill. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, that has an opening sequence, which is a spoken word monologue by Rob Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Just this low drone that sits underneath, which was actually influenced by a band called Godspeed you Black Emperor. Mm -hmm. And they have a track called Dead Flag Blues, which is absolutely fantastic. And I always wanted to do a song in that kind of style. Mm -hmm. And then Rob Ramsey wrote this spoken word piece. And the last phrase is... It's time to get some real work done. proceed to twist the bottle's neck until I woke up in Ecuador with two pairs of pants and a big bone nurse who said she had contacts. On the inside, that is. I'd left it all for $15 a day, plus expenses. A tidy sum if you spend it all on bones. So now it's the right time, with the liquid black, runs out through the streets, and the back of beyond is right next door. It's time to get some real work done. was the track that was the ignition point for me as a Mm -hmm. proper songwriting artist
0: that's amazing that segues really nicely into how we often end our interviews and that is could you give our listeners some recommendations of what to listen to besides shine back and tiny fish what's hot in your playlist
1: oh in my playlist right now sufjan stevens javelin that's one of the albums i absolutely love at the moment Mm -hmm. And I will now grab my phone and see what was on my most recent playlist. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yes. Bill Allcutt, Jump On It. That's another really good one. He's an instrumental acoustic guitarist, and his tracks are absolutely astonishing.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Funnily enough, actually, I've been listening to a lot of V or Five by Spock's bid.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh. He's a huge fan. <laughs> Excellent um,
1: That album is like... Everything you love about Spock's beard filtered down into one album. Yeah. They just said, okay, yeah, we're going to leave it all out on the field. Yeah. I love that album. Yes, as do I. Yeah, Jacob Collier is another one. Any of the Jesse albums are worth a look to see. If you like good vocal music and and good arrangements and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, they say the devil has all the best tunes. I haven't listened to Jacob Collier then.
0: Well, this has been an absolute treat. Wonderful to talk to you, get to know you, get the stories behind the stories.
1: Thank you, guys. It's it's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Simon. Simon, Thanks thank very much, you. Simon. Have a great night.
2: All right. That was awesome. That's yeah. awesome.
3: Thoroughly enjoyed that.
2: As we exit, please don't forget that you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, the platform now known as X as at UP3Show, Mastodon at UP3Show on the Mastodon the social server, or you can email us at UP3Show at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear from you guys and what kind of topics and interviews you'd like for us to cover here on the show. Ones like this, they're, they're really great. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you wanna show us some support, it's super easy. You can support us non-financially by subscribing on podbean at up3show.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, as I always say, please take a moment to write us a review. This does actually help in the metrics and the algorithm and it'll make sure that the show pops up wherever people search for prog or progressive or podcasts or whatever, please leave the reviews. And if you would like to support the show financially, we would really appreciate it. We're over on Patreon at patreon.com slash up3show. If you throw a few coins our way, it'll help us keep all the episodes and back content online. Until then, we'll talk to you next time, guys. Bye. 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 Hey, folks. Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting everything you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We make no claim of copyright to any of the music featured in our samples and strongly recommend that you support the artists we talk about by buying their albums and merchandise or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together.